Good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. Good morning, happy Palm Sunday to everyone. Do you have your palms? We'll, we'll use them in just a moment. In case you're wondering, uh, my wife and I were talking. He's like, what if someone comes in? They, they don't know what, what, what's the deal with the palm branches. I just said that like Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal with the palm branches? Here's a sentence of what the deal is with the palm branches. And then I'll give a whole sermon on what the deal is with the palm branches. But these palm branches, something like this, people cut down as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem and he had already said he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's going to be the salvation for the world. And so when people heard this news, they rushed to the gates in Jerusalem. It says that there was a very large crowd and they in honor placed these palm branches in the path before him. And he came triumphantly in the city for salvation. Amen. Amen. So here, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew? We're going to read the Palm Sunday story. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew 21. And I'll first tell you the title of this sermon today. The title is A Question. Usually my sermon titles aren't a question, but I thought it very appropriate to have a question this morning that as we look at this story of Palm Sunday, we don't just look at it as like an old story that happened 2,000 years ago, but that this story is taking place in us and among us right now, that Jesus is at the gate of our hearts. And what will we do to prepare for his coming salvation? The question is, the title of the sermon, a question, is what will we lay down to prepare for God's salvation? So let's listen to the, the passage of scripture. Would you stand with me as I read Matthew 21, verse 1, and then through the rest of this story of Jesus coming to Jerusalem. It says this, as they approached Jerusalem, this would be the disciples and Jesus, they came to Bethpage, that's a city about a mile from Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, untie them and bring them to me. And then he's going to give them some instructions because basically they're stealing pretty valuable property, a donkey and a colt from somebody else. This is not grand theft auto. This is grand theft livestock, donkey, I don't know. And so Jesus gives some instruction. He says, if anyone says anything to you, which they probably should, say to them, the Lord needs them. It's almost like this person, this owner was already preparing for this very moment. And so say to them, the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what the prophet was spoken through the prophet. And this is Zechariah chapter nine is this reference. Say to daughter Zion and daughter Zion is a nickname for Jerusalem. One of the mountains, hills in Jerusalem is called Zion. Say to daughter Zion, say to Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Listen to these words. Gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples did, went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And then here's, here's the story. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees, spread them on the roads. The crowd that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted this. So would you hold your palm branches? We're going to say this together. 
Blessed is he, come on, say it with me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's say that one more time because it says they shouted it, right? Yeah, they shouted. One more time. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Let me pray over us. God, we worship you. We say that you are here. You are present. Lord, would you prepare our hearts to worship you, to give you our lives because you've given us our salvation. Lord, we thank you and praise you. And all God's people shouted, amen, amen. amen. Let me start off with a story. Maybe something like this has happened to you where you were planning and hoping for one thing to go a certain way and you've asked the Lord and you're really seeking him and his direction and then it doesn't happen that way. But then looking back, it's like, well, the Lord did something else and actually he answered the prayer, but in a much better way than you could have ever imagined. Can you think about that in your own life? Can you think of a story, something in your life where you you hoped this thing would happen and you thought it would go this way, but the Lord has a way of, of answering a prayer, but maybe in a different way and it being better. I see a lot of you nodding your heads. Yeah, this, this happens. When my wife and I were newly married, we had some friends that were maybe 10 years older than us before we had kids. They didn't have kids either. And their story was pretty hard on them. They, they had been to the doctors, they had done fertility clinics and things And they were told that they could not have kids. They had dreamed of having a child and making a family. And it just turned out that what they come to find, that they couldn't have children. And, you know, they're just people that you would think would be the perfect parents. The mom is sassy, kind, loving lady. The dad is like a gentle giant. And and it's just like, wow, these these people would make great parents. And and that part of their life, they, they can't have kids. And so they began to explore fostering and adopting, and they got on uh, the fostering certification thing. They did that for Colorado Springs. And lo and behold, they got a call. And then the next day, a little five-year-old girl shows up to their house. What an answer to prayer. This five-year-old sassy little girl that needed good parents. Her story, I heard some of the details of her story being in foster care. It was just horrible. And she comes to this family, and the family is now parents to them. And she now has parents for for this time of foster care. And her birth parents decided to kind of cut ties, which opened the door for adoption. And a couple weeks led into months, which I think was a whole year process of court court and hearings. And the judge uh, goes through all the details of the case, you know, dotting the I crossing the T and then at the end of it this little girl gets to get up on the judge's bench and she gets to take the little gavel and she hits the little wooden pad and with that she now has officially parents and these parents now officially have a little girl and thinking back that story was 14 years ago this little girl is now 19 years old and thinking back through that story I thought wow Here's a couple that, you know, they wanted and they were praying and asking for something. They they thought this was the way, but the Lord had another way. And he actually answered the prayer and they would all say better than they could have ever imagined it. This scene being played out on Palm Sunday is maybe something like that, where people have an idea of this coming Messiah and they're laying their cloaks and branches down. They have an idea that 
this Messiah, this one who's, who's leading all these people and is teaching these things will maybe come in and relieve them and save them from the oppressive Roman Empire. See, Israel at this time was like a territory of the Roman Empire. They were being taxed heavily, laws, rules were placed upon them. And so they wanted out of that. They wanted freedom from their Roman oppressors. And a lot of the people, we assume, they, they, their idea of what was going to happen was that Jesus was going to come in on maybe like a big war horse. And maybe behind him were going to be soldiers. And he was going to take the city and give them freedom. And instead, imagine like being a part of the crowd, hearing that this Messiah, this Jesus, he had been into Jerusalem before. He had done miracles. He has a radical teaching. He has huge followers. This huge crowd is coming. And here comes the horse. Here comes the soldiers of Jesus. No, wait. Is, is, he, riding, is he riding a donkey? And there's like a little tiny baby horse, a colt behind the donkey. And instead of soldiers, it's like a ragtag group of disciples, like Imagine, I assume, I'm just kind of reading into the story here. Imagine their disappointment, seeing this like, oh, this, this guy? Like, how is, I thought, it would, I thought it'd be bigger. <laughs> I thought it'd be tall. I thought it'd be on a horse. I thought some soldiers would be with them. Like, how is this the coming of the anointed one? How is this the coming of a Messiah? And yet we all know, and maybe you're here this morning because you hope and you believe, like I do, that Jesus did answer those prayers of salvation and redemption, although not from a Roman government tyranny of an earthly kingdom, but freedom to a heavenly kingdom, freedom through love and kindness, freedom through salvation from our sins with his death on the cross. Amen? Amen. Here's my first point. I have a three-point sermon, as I always do, those of you visiting every week, three points, unless we don't do three points, but almost every week, three points. The first one is that Jesus is the salvation plan for the world. Jesus is the salvation plan for the world. This was all part of his plan. Like he, I'm going to go through a couple, uh, I'm going to show you a map in a minute, not now, and, and go through a couple events leading up to this moment. But Jesus is the rescuer, and he has come to rescue. We'll explain what that looks like and what that really means in the context of Palm Sunday. But first, a story. I was driving on I-25 not too long ago, and it uh, wasn't much traffic, but all the cars were stopping and slowing down. And turns out there had just been an accident. I, I was like first on the scene, drove past this accident, pulled over, and was looking in my rear view mirror like a car that had toppled over. Another car involved, all smashed up. Unfortunately, like some people were bleeding in their car. People were out walking around. You could just, it, was, it was one of those horrible scenes. And I'm looking in my rear view mirror and just kind of panicking. Like, like, I need to help. I need to do something. My first aid training is very limited. I was a boy scout. And so I was like, well, I could, I could do something. I know a little bit. And I was just like thinking like, okay, is, if I have to do CPR, is it, is it chest compressions, then the breath? Or is it, oh wait, they got rid of the chest compression? No, wait, they got rid of the breaths? It's the chest. What do I do? And I'm panicking and thinking through like, oh my goodness, like how can I? And lo and behold, I hear a real rescue, sirens. And coming from, I'm looking in my rear view mirror, coming from the, the road, people are moving over like they should. And here comes an ambulance 
real hope, real help, real, someone who actually knows what to do and what they're going to do. And they pull up and just like, like clockwork, they, they pull out the stretcher, they help people, they, they put people in bandages and they, they hauled people off and then other police officers and, and fire and they, they showed up and like, yes, yes. I just remember sitting in my car like, yes, yes, save them, help them, yes, yes. And I think that's the scene. Isn't it like this whole scene of Palm Sunday, people are saying, save us. Did you know that this word, I don't know that we've said this yet. Some of you are like, yeah, we keep saying Hosanna. What does this word even mean? Hosanna means save us. It could be translated as rescue us, even help us. People are shouting in the streets, save us, help us, rescue us. And so let me give you a little background to Jesus' ministry. Jesus ministered for about three uh, years. This was not his first time to Jerusalem. If you line up the gospel accounts and look at his ministry and and look for the times that he was in Jerusalem, it's probably something like seven times. Two of them were when he was a kid. Remember, he was dedicated as a baby at the temple. And then another one when he was about 12. Do you remember this story? Jesus goes to the temple and he's teaching the teachers Can you imagine like a 12-year-old, like going to some college and and not just teaching, but teaching the teachers? Wow, this is amazing. They were astounded. They were, wow, how does this kid know all that? How is he able to teach us? Well, we hope, we believe that he's not just a good teacher. He's God himself. And so he was able to expound, of course, upon the law that he had been written into. He was the one prophesied about. So these other times, this is the seventh time that Jesus would come into Jerusalem. These four other times, if you look at these stories, it's, it's a crazy scene. Like there are huge crowds in Jerusalem. They're mobbing Jesus. They're trying to get to him. They're bringing the lepers. They're bringing the blind. They're bringing the deaf. They're bringing the paralytic. And guess what? They're all being healed. Can you imagine this person coming to your town and you have a friend who is, is blind? It's like, what if I just bring them to Jesus? And what if Jesus just touches them? He could be healed. You would do anything, right? To bring that friend. Like, what if? Like, you'd stop everything. It's like, yeah, let me help you get to Jesus. Because just maybe. We've heard the stories. He's healed people. Imagine the crowds. It's hard to imagine. I don't, I don't think there's any scene in, at least in my life in the United States, where I could think of like an out of control crowd. I'm sure it happens. But I can think of quite a few times on foreign missions where this is just like a normal occurrence, like uncontrollable crowds. Anybody been on foreign missions before? Raise your hands. We're a church that loves foreign missions. Melton's our uh, global missions pastor overseeing local missions and global missions. We're going to Nicaragua in October. The deadline has already passed, but maybe if if Melton's here today and you come talk to him, maybe he'll extend the deadline just for you uh, to go with us to Nicaragua. But last summer... Uh, a team from Manitou and the other congregations. We were in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Ashley was there. Where's Ashley? I see Ashley. Erica was there. Anybody else? Sometimes Sarah Ringdahl comes. We were giving um, kind of care to pregnant women. We had set up a clinic and your giving, thank you, New Life Manitou, your giving had had purchased uh, the rental of some uh, machines for sonograms for pregnant women. Uh, We had doctors uh, set up and we were seeing patients and we were 
also telling them about the good news of Jesus. Like one by one, we had little consultations, a little prayer meetings, praying over pregnant women. They were very open to the gospel. Just a wonderful uh, mission trip. And one of the days, one of our last days, we went to this hospital that had a courtyard. And we were expecting, what, like 75-something people and how many people came? Like 400? 400 pregnant women. Like, where'd they all come from? Like, there's only so many surrounding villages. How is there 400 pregnant women in these, like, villages? Like, where'd they come from? And so they show up when we were expecting 75. And one of our roles was to pray with them. And then we had a gift for them. We had uh, these bars of soap that were, think of like a laundry soap uh, slash. They could do dishes with it slash. They could use it for cleaning hands and whatever. It it was actually for them very valuable and they we were giving these gifts away and realizing okay we have 75 and here's 400 and we had already started giving out some whole bars and then as more and more women came we began breaking the bars in half and then some women were like well, upset like why do I get a half bar and then more women come and we're like okay fourth of a bar of soap and we're trying to hand imagine like a courtyard maybe like two times the size of this room with 400 people it was a, it was, honestly, it was a scary scene. And Michael Parrish, he used to sit, where did Michael sit? Like right here. He, uh, he's over there in Africa serving right now because he fell in love with the mission and what, what God was doing over there. So he's over there right now. He was on the team just as one of us, as a member of the team. And he was handing out these soaps, trying to do so in an organized way. And people, he was like up against a bar and he's like getting pushed. And he's like trying to hand this. So he hands a soap to one of the ladies that had been waiting patiently another woman grabs his arm pulls it out of his hand and bites his hand and he's just screaming he's just like someone bet me say bet me and it's like he ends up just like throwing the soap as far as he can away from him and the women like 400 what can you a pregnant woman like what a wild it's like was that a dream no that happened like the crowds you we can't like it was scary like i'm kind of joking about it and but it was as it was an uncontrollable scary moment of like what in the world do we do it was scary right Ashley Ashley was there it was scary she's like yes it was very scary like like it, all of us some of us probably say like oh yeah I, I'm kind of scared of you know I don't like crowds that much no one would have liked this crowd it was out of control can you imagine the crowds I want you to think like through like Jesus isn't giving out soap he's giving out like he, he's giving he's healing people He's like leper, like lepers are getting cleansed. People that can't walk are walking away. Can you imagine the, like the panic? Like, what if I don't get to touch Jesus? What if I don't get to see him? Can you imagine that crowd as he enters into Jerusalem? Can you imagine um, when, when Jesus was away from Jerusalem, him announcing that he's going to go back to Jerusalem. Think about his disciples. Like now you can maybe get a picture in uh, Matthew chapter 16. So let me stay with me for a second. Matthew 21 is where we're at now with the, the entering of Jesus and Palm Sunday. Matthew 16 is where Jesus says, I'm going to go to back to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer there and I'm going to die. And this is the Lord's will. Can you now get a picture of why the disciples would be like, no, whoa, no, no, absolutely not. Like we're not going back to Jerusalem. And what's this talk about suffering and death? Like Peter stands up and he says that. And what's Jesus do? He rebukes them. And he says, like, we have, this is a part of the way 
that, that this is why I have come, to go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna suffer and I'm gonna die and this is gonna be the salvation plan for the world. I'll explain that in a moment. I have a map for you. You're not gonna be able to see the map. You're just gonna be able to see the gist of the map. Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of a picture of Israel. And at the, at the, at the bottom there, this, this little line points to Jerusalem. Just to give you a little bit of context, just kind of a big picture here. At the top, there's a lake. That's the Sea of Galilee. In this map is, is all of Jesus' ministry. This is where he ministered. And 80-something percent happens around the Sea of Galilee. And uh, uh, he's up there in Matthew 16, he he announces, we're gonna go back to Jerusalem. The disciples, Peter says, heck no, no way. Why would we do that? Jesus says, no, this is the plan. And then starts this purple line down to Jerusalem. Um, And this this whole distance, just to give you some context, if you're familiar with Colorado Springs to Denver, it's about 70 miles. Uh, Jerusalem to uh, Sea of Galilee, about 70 miles. This is all of Jesus' ministry. Um, in In chapter 19 of Matthew, he leaves Galilee, starts coming south in uh, chapter 20, goes to Jericho. Chapter 21, we picked up the story with him at Bethpage about a mile out from Jerusalem. Do you have this picture now of like what's gonna happen? Like, can you imagine being one of the disciples? Like, like we've been there. We know how crazy it gets. We know how scary it gets and the crowds. And here Jesus is coming in and crowds have already formed And what has happened is people have prepared for his entry. Jesus never like like pushes away the crowds. He never, he has compassion on the crowds, which which maybe with that story from Africa gives you a whole new perspective of Jesus' ministry. Because like when we were trying to serve and give out these soaps, it was like it almost felt like an us versus them. Like like, 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 like we were, it was scary, it was a scary scene. And Jesus, you never see Jesus acting like that. Jesus has compassion. He slows down. He walks with people. He takes the time to, 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 to serve the least of these. And so Jesus entering into Jerusalem, people have already prepared for his way. Point two is this, thinking about your own life. Prepare to give as the Lord has need of it. This is what Jesus tells these disciples. Go untie this donkey, get the colt to and bring them to me. And if anybody asks, like, what you're doing, say, the Lord has need of it. Now, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all include this story of Palm Sunday. Different versions give us a little bit different insights. Luke gives us the insight. I'll show you Luke 19.30. says, uh, he's t- talking to his disciples, saying, go to the village over there. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there. And then he includes this little detail. Do you see that? which no one has ever ridden and untie it and bring it here. And it's like an interesting little detail that someone kept a donkey and it had never been used, never been ridden. It'd be like ordering a brand new car, getting it delivered to your house, parking in your, in your garage and never starting it, never running it, never driving around the block at all. Like, why do you even have it? Like, what's it for? And I'm just kind of reading into the story, but I imagine this guy had to explain, hey, hey, kids, get, don't, don't get anywhere near that donkey. No one has ever ridden it. And they're like, what? Why? 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 What's the deal? He had, I'm just reading into it. Maybe the Lord had given him like, this, you're, this donkey's gonna be used. Don't, don't use this donkey for anything else. I have need of it. I'm reading into the story. But imagine the preparation that this owner must have already been thinking about and going through 
for like random strangers to come up and start untying. Like someone just starts, like makes a key of your car, is going into your car at Walmart, getting in. What would you say? You say, hey, right? You'd at least start there. Say, hey, what the heck? What's going on? And then what if they just said, hey, the Lord has need of it? What would you do? Like, think about like, this is, this is real story here. Like this guy's heart must have already been prepared for this moment. And yes, I, w- I will give it. Is this, has the Lord prepared your heart to give? I think about uh, the other gifts here in the story. Some people run. Uh, first, the donkey comes. The disciples give their cloaks, put them on the donkey. Then people run, get branches from the trees, palm branches, whatever branches they could find, I assume, bring them to the ground, to the road where Jesus was going to walk. In a sense, they're rolling out the red carpet, or I guess in this case, rolling out the <laughs> green carpet for Jesus. Why? Out of respect, out of honor. And then it says some people, Matthew, Mark, and Luke include this detail that people took off their, their cloaks, their outer garment, and they threw them on the road. And you might just think, oh, they, they threw their jackets. Oh, what a nice gesture. Well, in the ancient world, uh, an outer coat was maybe, amongst very poor people, your most valuable possession. In the Jewish legal system, you could sue someone for everything, take all their stuff, except for their cloak. You couldn't take their cloak. You couldn't take it overnight. Why? Because you'd be putting them at risk of death. Like this was their blanket. This was their sleeping bag. This was the only thing that they had to keep warm on a cold desert night. You couldn't take someone's cloak. It was probably the most valuable thing someone had. And here they are. What are they doing? Throwing it on the ground and a donkey and another little horse is going to ride on it. And then it says that there was people following Jesus. The whole crowd is going to trample your most valuable possession. I have a question for you this morning. Like, is there something the Lord is calling you to give? Maybe it's a possession Maybe it's a, it's a financial gift to the Lord, to the church, to the ministry, to the kingdom of God for God's work. Maybe it's a laying down of, of pride. Maybe it's this week, you know, headed towards Resurrection Sunday, inviting someone, having a, you know, trying to lead the conversation with a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, a schoolmate, saying, trying to lead the conversation into something deeper and more spiritual than how's the weather, and then inviting them to service, inviting them to Easter service. We'll have two services next week, 9.30 and 11. We'll have plenty of room for people to, to, to invite people. Maybe it's laying down of our pride to invite people, to minister to someone. Maybe it's a laying down of, I don't know if it's pride or just, you know, not next Sunday's Easter. The Sunday after that's Baptism Sunday. Maybe the Lord is doing something in your life and you want to publicly declare that you've been following him. There's some people already interested. You could join them. We'll have a baptism service. Maybe that's like uh, in, in your life, uh, a real moment of in your life where it's like, yes, I am publicly declaring that Jesus is my salvation. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to go down in the waters of baptism in, in thinking about Jesus' death and then raise up new for, with new life. Amen? Yes. Here's the last point for this morning. Uh, point three. I've already said it. I want you to not miss it, so we'll, we'll make it point three. Hosanna means save us. It means rescue us. It means help, like help us. Can you imagine this scene in Jerusalem? that's being played out where where crowds of people have lined the streets and crowds of people are then following Jesus and they're shouting, save us. 
rescue us. People shouting at the top of their lungs, save us. Like all their hope is in this guy, the Messiah, the anointed one. They're hoping and believing this is the one prophesied about in the Old Testament. Many prophecies of the coming one in the line of David. He's going to be riding a donkey, gentle. And they're thinking, wow, is this it? Is this him? Is he the one who is to come? And we would say, yes, yes, he is exactly who he claimed to be. He's exactly who the disciples taught he was after his death, that his death and resurrection is the salvation plan for the world. And I'll talk about how that works in just a second. But first, one last story. Do you guys remember in 2018 when the the boys Thailand soccer team like went off at one day after a practice and went into a cave and the whole world found out that 12 boys were missing and the village was like, well, somebody, I think if I got my story right, somebody left something at the entrance of the cave, which made them assume, oh, they're in the cave. And so the whole world, groups of cavers, communities of cavers went to Thailand and trying to find them, they went in the cave, tried to find different entrances, a massive cave system in northern Thailand. They couldn't find them. They sent cave divers in. What had happened is water rose in the cave. You remember the story. It created something the caving world calls a sump, where there's like a, a down area, and that down area fills up with water. Then they couldn't get back through the muddy, murky, black water cave no light. Eventually, you know, they had no food in there. They were in there uh, a little more than two weeks. One of the cave divers trying to find them ended up giving his life. He passed away, lack of oxygen, uh, cave diving in. Eventually, they do find the boys. Imagine that moment, being in the dark for days and days, no food, complete darkness, cold, dark, horrible, just with a group of friends trying to hold it together and a caver comes up out of the water to find them and they have that moment on video. It's beautiful. And, and then, there, then comes the plan. How do they get these 12 boys out? The caving community rallies. They, they, they figure out, oh, they'll sedate the boys, they'll put on an oxygen mask and they'll pull the boys back through this tiny little opening that they had come through, through the black water of the cave. And there's this picture leading up to this moment where they're going to do this rescue mission. And it's a picture of some of the rescuers with their equipment walking through the village to get to the cave. And what's everybody do? They're lining the streets. They're throwing flowers. They're taking pictures with their phone. They folded hands in prayer. And what are they saying? Save them. Rescue them. Get those boys. Save them. This scene of Jesus coming into Jerusalem is, he's, he's not saving people out of a cave, but Rather, he's saving people out of darkness. He's saving people out of depression, out of hopelessness, out of, imagine that scene in a cave huddled with, with some of your friends with no hope at all, no food, and just sitting there waiting for something. And here the moment comes. Jesus has come to the rescue. Jesus, the rescuer, has come to the rescue. Would you stand with me? The band can come forward. If you're serving communion, you can come forward and get the baskets to either side. What we're gonna do is um, receive communion together. We're gonna uh, come towards the middle. We're gonna walk towards the cross. And I wanna do something. I've, I've just kind of thought of this as I was uh, preaching here, but this, this idea that Jesus came through the city and then people followed him. People followed the one 
who was going to save them. Would you, I th- I th- I'm just kind of getting emotional thinking about this moment, would you pass your palm branches to the center aisle and would you, would you place the palm branches in this center aisle? We're going to walk on them. Don't worry, the carpet's already ruined. <laughs> but this moment of, and I hope this is a reverent way to do this as I'm thinking through what we're doing here. Um, but the people following Jesus, it's like we're assuming this position of following Jesus. He comes through the city and it says there's a group of people following him. And what are they shouting? They're shouting Hosanna. They're shouting, save us. So as we come through, we're going to walk on these palm branches. We're going to come up to the front. There's communion servers on each side. You're going to be handed this, this cup and it has bread on it. And they're going to say body of Christ, blood of Christ for you. You're going to receive this element. You're going to go back to your seat. We're, we're, we're going to all uh, just remain standing after we receive the elements. We're all going to receive these gifts together. Pastor Belton's going to lead us. We're going to sing this song and then take together. But let me pray over this moment. God, in this holy moment of remembering you entering into a city, that we get to be the people walking after you, walking on other people's palm branches that were laid down because of their faith. We get to walk in their faith behind you with an attitude of, Lord, you're saving us. Your death on the cross, this is what it all means. Your death, God, on the cross has saved us from our sin and that's salvation. Like rescuers into a dark cave, saving us. Lord, you are saving us from a dark world. You're saving us from our own sin. You're saving us from our own mistakes and failures. And so, Lord, we come today. We come to receive of you. And Lord, we, we thank you that everyone in this room, if, if we say, Lord, save us to you, then we can come to your table. You have an open table. We can all receive from you. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you come now from, to, from the front, working your way to the back?